On this episode of Sega Talk, we look at the Hideo Kojima cult classic Police Nuts. What happens when astronauts have the right to kill? Why are the guys from Lethal Weapon here? All this and more on this episode of Sega Talk. Segabits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Look, it's a giant talking egg. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the master here. So what's Hello, and welcome to another episode of Sega Talk. I'm your host, George, and with me is Space Police Cadet Barry. Ahoy. I mean, Ahoy. at ease. Yes, that's that's the what? right that's the right thing to say. I think the police are here. <laughs> can you hear them in the background? Yeah, I can hear them outside. Oh, well, you do live in Chicago. That's just part of the course they say, right? Is that just mm-hmm. a stereotype or is that true? It's a stereotype. Okay. I think. Uh, and today we will be talking about the 1994 Hideo Kojima cult classic, Police Knots. This game came out originally for the Nick PC9821 computer, and that's obviously like such a like branding. Remember those branding from those old computers? It's like, yeah. Do you, what? So what PC do you have? Uh, I got the uh, Amiga 2600142. Oh yeah. Right, cool. right. Yeah. yeah. Then then the game got a port to the 3DO in 1995. And a PlayStation port. Then later on in 1996, a Sega Saturn port. And since the game was last released on Sega Saturn, I'll come out and give you guys plot spoilers. It's the best version of the game, even according to Hideo Kojima. And he created the game. So you cannot argue with us in the comment. I don't, I don't care. I don't care. I don't want to hear it. I can already see the comments. But George... No. <laughs> But first, if you like our noble mission of talking about Sega games and want to support us, you can check us out on Patreon. For as little as a buck a month, you can keep our interstellar mission of Sega education going. If you pledge $20, you get to tell us what to talk about, like Daniel Andres did. And because he, got, because he sponsored this episode, he gets to say his memories before us. So I'll let Barry do that. Daniel says, oh my golly Oh my good golly god, Police Nuts. This is by far one of my favorite games for the Sega Saturn. Aside from Grandia, Nights into Dreams, and Panzer Dragoon Saga, I remember first getting the game off eBay a few years back and falling in love with the art book manual that came with its box set. Shortly after that, I got an English translation version of the game off of Etsy. I remember playing it for the first time late at night with all of the lights off in my old bedroom. It was the perfect setting for experiencing the opening cinematics and gameplay. I will never forget seeing the impressionable opening cutscene for the first time. Knowing about Jonathan and Lorraine's depressing backstories and histories really got to me. I knew that after everything had happened up to that point when he decided to go to the beyond, that it was that I was in for an epic crime drama experience. It really is a shame that this game has not had an official North American release, though not even on the PS1 next to Metal Gear Solid, considering that Hideo Kojima himself created this title. Aside from Snatcher and Metal Gear, this was his first true game, and future MGS titles paid homage to it. I really do hope that somehow, someday, some way, 
Kojima Productions can rightfully purchase all of his IPs from Konami. Even if the company never does anything with these titles, Kojima still has a right to own them. And then he ends saying, Police Knots is a great, amazing experience. However, it is also dark, brutal, and not 100% for the faint of heart. It can also be very in-depthy, depending on how you interact with the characters and environment. It is point-and-click, but if you so desire, there is a lot of point-and-click. I've been playing this game for a good three years now and have just wow. started Hect 4. <laughs> I'm probably near the end of the game at this point. It may not look like a lot at face value, but it does feel like a lot. Now then, if this episode has convinced you, I highly recommend Police Knots for the Saturn. It is definitely something worth playing. P.S. I'm really bummed that I missed out oh, on the Vanquish episode. I really do uh, like that game. <laughs> That's okay. You can't, game. You can't have them all. Game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, so... Plot spoiler, me and Barry, we haven't beaten this game, so I don't know what happens in the end. I know Barry's acting like, wait, don't talk for don't talk for me, George. Of course I beat this game. <laughs> yeah. Okay, then, so Barry, when we talked about Snatcher on Sega Talk number 70, you said it was one of your favorite games. What is your history with Police Nuts? I have absolutely zero history with this game. I've heard the title in the past. I've seen a few pieces of art. And I knew Kojima had a connection to it. That's that's the extent of it. That's it. So I was one of those guys that like was super obsessed with Metal Gear Solid to the point where like I saw all the codec, all the codec stuff, and like um, you know how they have all these extra like literally hours of just audio tracks. I listened to all of them. Uh, I was so obsessed with it that I, I even noticed little like mistakes. Like there's this cutscene where Solid Snake they say he has uh, blonde hair, I think, but Officially, he has brown hair, but they screwed up back then to be, you know, to do the whole, like, you guys are twins mm. thing. So, uh, so yes, I was obsessed with Metal Gear Solid. Uh, and I heard about this game because Meryl's in this game. And so, when I was younger, I was super obsessed with, like, the idea of playing it, but it was Japanese for a long time until 2009. Wow. And then I wanted to play it on my actual Sega Saturn but then, I, like, I didn't have it modded or anything, and I didn't want to, like, mess around with it. You know how it is when you have that original Sega Saturn you grew up with or whatever? <laughs> you don't really want to, like, mess around with it and break it. Because it's, like, it's more than just a console at this point. It's part of your, like, history, I guess. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For yeah. sure. So, definitely. And, like, I tried to play it before we did this episode, and I, I played, I'll, I don't know, I would say about, like, an hour into it, maybe. And uh, I'm enjoying it, but I haven't beat it. And I, that's why I didn't put any plot spoilers in this episode, because I'm like, I don't want to spoil it for myself. Um, so, um, so far, I'm really liking the vibe. I have listened to the soundtrack a lot, actually, because I have it on vinyl from Data Disc, And I've listened to it in the past before, because it came up on my playlist. And I think the soundtrack is really, really stellar. I think everyone should at least listen to it, even if you don't play the game. And if a lot of people haven't played this game, I actually don't blame them considering it's Japanese only. That's it. That's my opening message. Do you think a lot of people make up the fact that they, like, say, yeah, I played that game, but they really saw a playthrough on YouTube? Yeah, I, I mean, I'll admit we've done close to 100 of these, and there are times when I've actually not played a game. <laughs> and no. then I'll say, and, and at the very least I'll lie and say, I think I played it. I think I rented it. It's kind of hard. Sometimes it blurs, right? Like, you'll see, like, a playthrough from, like, 
like 10 years ago and you'd be like, oh yeah, I played this game. And then you're like, wait, no, I, maybe I saw the playthrough or something. I forgot. Right. And sometimes I'll argue, like, often I'll argue a, watching a playthrough has zero, like, absolutely not. That does not count. This game, though, I would argue, I'd give you a 50%. Like, that's, you know, like, you didn't make the decisions, but you're getting all the story. Um, yeah. It's not like Shenmue, where you can kind of, like, go play some mini games, find your, you know, like, some people rush through it, some people, uh, you know, just like to raise money and, and collect little tchotchkes. But in this game, it, it really seems like the goal is to get through the story. And I would say Snatcher, too. Like, yeah, those this and that one are, are very much, like, sit through um, and just watch the cutscene games. However, like, Phoenix Wright, I would say you should play that because half the fun is solving the mystery and, like, playing lawyer, you know? Oh, so. yeah. Oh, my God, dude. Phoenix Wright games are so, like, they're good, but sometimes the puzzles are so annoying where to where the point you're, like, clicking every little bit of real estate on that DS screen, and you're like, where the hell is that clue at? Yeah. I love that game, though. So let's talk about the development of the game. The idea for the game Police Not actually started way back in the development during the development of Snatcher, which came out in 1988. The story is that Kojima took breaks from working on Snatcher because of memory limitations he ran into during development, and he began working on ideas for the game that would become Police Knots. Uh, Kojima also said in interviews that he got frustrated with the lack of creative control he had. After he released Metal Gear, so- <laughs> Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake, not Metal Gear Solid 2, gets a little confusing there, in 1990, he started working on this, uh, the scripting engine, which gave him control over uh, when animations and music's, music played instead of programmers. So he took hmm. a little more control from the programmers at this time. So during... The early 90s, developer roles were interchangeable. Because of this, teams were so small that programmers probably had the most control over games. Uh, I was, Like, if you worked for Konami and some guy was like, I want more control, I did all this, I could take control over the way the game directs, would you be offended or would you be like, all right, I get half days off? I mean... I don't know, as long as I'm getting paid, my name's on the game at the end of the day. Like, I, I don't know how overworked they were, so maybe that was actually a relief. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, no? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, t- to me, I'd be like, all right, uh, I'll learn from what this guy does, and if he, if he makes mistakes, I'll let him make the mistakes, and then I'll learn from it, and then when I make another game and I start taking over, I'd be like, well, I'm not going to do what that guy did. And if he does good, I'll copy what he did. I'd be like, oh... People do like more cinematic games. I guess I'll just copy them. That's how I that's how I approach that situation. But yeah, I wouldn't get mad. I'd be like, "Cool, you want to do more work? Cool, I'll go home early." Right. Uh, so let's talk about the name Police Knots. Sounds pretty cool, and it's a mix of police crammed with astronauts, uh, with you know taking away the astro in the beginning. But it wasn't the original game during development. Originally, he wanted to name the game Beyond. But uh, Konami couldn't acquire the license. Hmm. Who knows why they couldn't acquire it? Uh, there's quite a lot of games with the title Beyond. Uh, I guess uh, one movie I could think of is uh, 1981's Lucille Fulci's horror film, The Beyond. Have you ever seen that one? No, I haven't. Uh, it's like one of these like weird underground Italian films. Like My friends used to be onto these like gore films, and this is kind of like a gore film in a way. 
to be honest with you, I find these kind of movies kind of boring. They're more drawn out horror. And then there's like this weird like somebody gets their head stabbed or something weird <laughs> where it's like super graphic, you know? But right. Yeah. Um, so there's that beyond. There's also Two Souls, uh, Beyond Two Souls from Quantic Dreams, but that came out way later. This is an interactive drama, but it's kind of interesting that, uh, you know, that Quantic Dream game, the interactive drama two Soul, uh, Beyond Two Souls, mm-hmm. is kind of a visual novel the way this game is. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it's like a new version or a high-budget version of what Kojima was doing back then. Mm-hmm. So uh, this so this is what Kojima said about the name. I wanted to take those social problems as my as my story theme, and the result ended up being police knots. The choice of words home and beyond, aka Earth and Colony, which are two p- places you visit, it shows the cord- cordial relationship like parent and child, but beyond has two meanings to me. The physical distance between Earth and the colony, but also the 25 years that Jonathan Ingram Graham passed in cryo sleep. That was Police Knot's theme. That even technology technology advances and we can go into space even if something was as amazing as time travel became possible. In the end, you still have the persistence of human relationships and human society. Um, so what is your, like, what do you like better, uh, beyond or police knots? And, uh, would you go with something like beyond police knots, you know, like (laughs) cramming both of them together? No, that sounds like beyond Thunderdome, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I think beyond is too nebulous a title. Like you could slap that name on, you know, most video games out there. Um, police knots, it is unique it does catch your attention it's a little hokey though it reminds me of like i don't know like team america world police it just sounds like you took some like strong sounding words and slapped them together and it's almost it like a joke is. like like space force remember when that was announced and you're like oh they went with space force like if they called them police knots i'd be like yeah it sounds like something the, the previous administration would <laughs> call actually <laughs> You know how I joined so fast and be like, oh, I wanted to join the police, not force, so I could have that cool logo that they have on the on exactly. the shirts in this game. Yeah. 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 So uh, police not uh, – Kojima, during development of his games, tried to create his own genres to sell its games. I think this was really popular back then. Oh, yeah. Uh, Sna- Snatcher was a cyberpunk adventure. Metal Gear was a tactical as- espionage action game. And Police Knots was a cinematic virtual reality game. This isn't you. We know Sega legend Yu Suzuki was famous for calling like Outrun a driving game instead of a racing game. And calling uh, Shimmy a free as his genre. And this is something you fought with people before. You know, like, should we use these genres? Yeah. Yeah, go for it. If you want to go on about it. I mean, if you want to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Go on about it. Sorry. Well, well, I mean... I'm I'm certain like the the question you're posing is like do I support this sort of thing or do I think yeah, it's all yeah, like marketing nonsense and I fully support it um I think it's stupid to think that there was a certain point in video game history where every single genre was decided and we cannot add from there like okay pong comes out we didn't have racing games we didn't have RPGs we didn't have I mean, maybe we had sports. That was Pong, pretty much, ping pong. Um, So at some point, certain genres emerge. 
And we've gotten to that point now where games come out and you go, oh, it's an RPG. Well, it's an action RPG. Well, it's an action RPG with fighting game elements. Like, and to a certain point, you are just combining all of these genres. And, and so in Yu Suzuki's defense, like, he was making a game that was uh, a, almost like a fully 3D visual novel with RPG elements, um, Virtua Fighter fighting engine, and mini games. And like, well, what do you call that? Oh, it's an adventure game. Well, that's such a loose concept because Sonic Adventure is an adventure game and it plays nothing like Shenmue. That's um, true. Shenmue's not a platformer. Uh, no. You know, I'd say like Jack and Daxter is more of like a platformer, but that's also an adventure game. So it's like, you know, I'd also say that like, sure, it's, it is an, a way to market the game by telling people that it's a new type of video game experience but what's wrong with that you know like why are we seeing marketing in the negative sense there like oh it's just marketing i'm like well yeah everything's marketing yeah (laughs) i agree 100 percent. those character designs are too good it's just marketing they're trying to appeal (laughs) to us they're making that music is really good it's just marketing (laughs) like what do you mean yeah 100 percent. i mean in yeah. a way, having your new genre gives you that, like, you know, like that little marketing edge. Like, oh, this guy's just making another. Like, if I said I'm making another action game, it'd be like, all right, cool, it's an action game, right? But I do think that marketing-wise, it's smarter, like literally smarter, just to get people to even read about your game in the magazine. To be right, like, but this is a new genre, right? Right. Well, wouldn't Forza be like a um, car simulator RPG? I guess so. Technically, you know. Right? So I wouldn't, if they made up a new term for that type of game, I wouldn't bash them for it because I'm like, yeah, it's a lot easier to call it that than to call it like three different genres. So um, and I'm in Shenmue's defense, they it. no, and, and in Shenmue's defense, on the back, and this is kind of how the argument ended with with he who will not be named. Um, Ooh, that Voldemort. Uh, I was told, well, what is on the packaging is what the genre it is. And I went and I looked at the Japanese uh, packaging for Shenmue, and it says free right there on the box. And I was told, well, you have to go by what wiki standards are. And I'm like, oh, we're really moving the goalposts here. (laughs) So so let's talk about that. So, like, how many games in the genre... Do there have to be before it's it has to be officially recognized? It should, or can there only be one game? Like, let's say Shimu's the only one that's considered free, right? Right. Can, is that enough to make a genre, or do you think it has to be like uh, I don't know, Dark Souls like, where like every other game right now coming out is trying to be like Dark Souls, you know? Yeah, I mean, well, you know, when Roger Rabbit came out, there were very few, if any, um, live-action animated hybrid movies. And do you call that an animated movie, or do you call that a live-action movie? You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I get you. So, I, I'm just, I'm just wondering because, like, when you make a Wikipedia entry like these other guys do, like, it must be tough because, like, even I'm thinking, like, if I made my own Wikipedia, like, how many genres am I gonna have? You know? And it's like, should we just like group them together? And is it easier yeah. to search? You know? Well, remember that those movies from that one director, I, I'm blanking on his name, but he would do like live action actors and then trace over them. There was like a scanner Re- darkly. There's yes, yeah, rotoscoping, darkly. yeah. And yeah, there aren't that many rotoscope movies, but you would not technically call that traditional animation, but you'd also not Definitely call it not. you know, like so what is that? Well it's it's rotoscope 
animation and it is a genre of animation but there are a handful of movies that employ it so yeah if if Shenmue is the only free genre of game there's three of them (laughs) so there you go (laughs) I guess so there is three but like then there's like Jet Set Radio they kind of really established the self-shaded uh term like I don't think anyone's ever argued that one right Right, right. There were games with the shading, but not the black outlines. Yeah. And that's, well, it was also called Japanese Monkey Magic. Was that really what they called it? That's what the developers called it. <laughs> they also <laughs> called know. it, uh, like, uh, Super Cartoon that. Dimension or something like Cartoon Dimension Animation. I think Cell Shaded sounds better than uh, Super Cartoon Dimension Monkey Paul, especially right now with the monkey virus. It's probably not a good thing to call it that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so Hideo Kojima wanted to explore what would happen if we as humans do start a space colony, what, uh, what would change in us and our nature, but didn't want to make it sci-fi and more something that could happen sooner or later. Hmm. And, um, okay, we're talking, okay, so Hideo Kojima is highly influenced by other mediums, as if you play any of his games, it's super obvious, uh, when it comes to his game writing, and Police Knots isn't any different, he said the game was a direct response to the Japanese bashing in, caused by the movie Rising Sun with uh, Connery and uh, Sn- uh, Wesley Snipes. Oh, That right. came out in 1993. Meaning that, uh, well, because the game was already in development, supposedly, so I'm assuming that even in 1993, like a year before it came out, he was changing the script. That's what I'm saying right here, because it's crazy that this movie came out in 93, and he's like, Oh fuck! I gotta rewrite the whole script because this guy is an anti-Japanese film. But um, right, I did. I never heard of this movie. Have you watched this movie, Rising Sun? No, no, I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. Okay, I've never. It looks awesome. Is it, <laughs> okay, it has Japanese bashing in it, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna judge you on that one. I guess it does look awesome. I've never seen the movie, but. Uh, I was so basically, I was wondering if the movie was uh, bashing Asian people because I never heard of the movie. I never even heard this being like a uh, issue. Uh-huh. So I went online and I did a research, and uh, I guess in LA they did a, per, uh, a early preview of the movie, but they did not let Asian res- residents come and watch the movie. Um, I think it's pretty dicey. Uh, it, it caused some uproar. There was an LA Times article about it, and this is what Fox had to say about not letting Asian people come and watch the movie. It says, It's not our practice to screen an unfinished print for anybody except preview audiences, or in this case, to show a finished print to groups vocal in their opposition before they even see it. So mm. I guess don't don't watch it because you hate it, so don't watch it, all right. Explains Andrea Gaffey, the president of domestic marketing at Fox. She said, and since this movie is a work of fiction, no disclaimer is necessary. Pre-censorship by special interest groups is not something we support. Uh, I, I actually kind of thought it was interesting because, like, I feel like if a special interest group today is like, this movie's super anti-Asian and they actually picked up LA Times articles that, like, most of these companies today would bend the knee, like, because of social media now. Right. Do you uh, are you surprised that uh, 20th Century Fox basically said, "Oh yeah, we're not gonna let you watch it because you hate the movie and you haven't even seen the movie, so you're not watching it. We're not gonna let you watch it early because you already hate it." Right. Yeah. I don't. I don't know how I how I <laughs> feel about that. Yeah, that is a little <laughs> strange. Like, and now they have people on staff that make those decisions. Like, there's a whole 
team of people in these studios that are keeping an eye on that. But um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't have any opinion because, I mean, I understand that, like, as a movie producer or marketing exec, you're like, well, I don't want people to bash this movie that I'm making my money on. Like, the idea is that, like, you want to take down the most negative press, right? So Mm -hmm. I could see it in their point of view, maybe not being racist about it. But, I mean, in the end of the day, like, when you were like, oh, you're Asian? Sorry, you can't watch this movie because you might get offended. It's a little it's a little dodgy there. Yeah. Yeah. They should just, yeah, maybe make a, a logo. They, they should have... <laughs> On I a poster knew. saying, like, you know, like, children are not allowed. And then, like, different races and genders aren't allowed if they're going to do that. But it's like, the movie's called Rising Sun, too. It's like calling it, um, I don't know... <laughs> What what is I don't even know. What like if the, there was a uh, movie just for men called Nail Salon, and they're like women yeah. can't see Nail Salon. Exactly. It's like <laughs> come on, dude. They bash women. Oh well, you don't like it, and you haven't even seen it, so don't watch it. So that's that. So uh, the other the other big influence was a public debate in Japan was having over organ transporta- transplantations and brain death. Hmm. Uh, I also did a a bit of research on this topic, and it was a big debate in Japan because Dr. Wada in 1968 uh, had a failed uh, transplant, uh, and they basically banned uh, transporting organs from dead people to other people or brain-dead people, uh, organ donations. That lasted 30 years. Wow. So uh, Dr. Juro Wada said in 1990, he said, they charged me with murder for saving a life even though my heart transplant patient was the second longest surviving one at the time 83 days and still today patients are dying every day as we wait around for some decision to be made about organ transplants it took all the way to 1997 when they finally passed the organ transplant transplant law in japan the first transplant after the law didn't happen until february 1999 Wow. Juro Wada died in nine, in 2011. So this guy is a pr- pretty much a hero in Japan, in my opinion. I think uh, organ transplants are very important. It saves a lot of lives. That's my opinion on it. But uh, did you know about the complicated relationship with Japan and organ transplants? Uh, what are your thoughts about uh, Kujiyama being influenced by this aspect of Japanese life? Um, no, I've never heard of this, but I can see that in a lot of his games. He seems very interested in like like human bodies and organs and like upgrades and like babies in jars like all very (laughs) he's very like medic like future medically minded like and he's very focused on death i've noticed yeah well i think i think it's part of human nature you know it's one of the things we're all you know going to experience one day i'm not trying to put this you know uh podcast on the on you know depressed mode or anything like that but it I can see why he is. Also, the idea of, like, he's into technology, obviously, so he's probably always thinking, what's next? What's possible, you know? So, not too surprised about that one. Right. So, the, his other big influence for this was in 1990, uh, Toyohiro Akiyama was the first Japanese person to go into space, and Japan suddenly got a ton of NASA documents translated they said they had never uh they never had before oh wait okay so basically japan never had all these documentations from nasa in japanese so 
now people in Japan actually had answers to what are the effects of weightlessness in humans? What does space travel feel like? And Hideo said that a lot of people in Japanese public life were talking about it, including his friends, who hmm. everyone had space on the mind because of the because the first Japanese man went to space. So it was a frequent topic of discussion. Uh, so yeah, are you surprised? I mean, I'm surprised that NASA never just like worldwide made these like uh, papers public because like imagine, dude, they they went to the moon like in 19 what 69 or something, and they waited right. only to 90. I mean, I've got to imagine there's there were Japanese people translating this and making it available, but to have an official translation is probably it's kind of like the equivalent of Sonic X. Uh, and how we haven't gotten the Japanese version officially uh, translated, but fans probably have done never, it. <laughs> probably never going to happen on the Sonic so X. Fun. In 30 years, we'll be like, George, they finally <laughs> translated Sonic X officially. And we'll all be talking about Sonic X, just like Japan's talking about space travel. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, maybe. I hope maybe. so. Uh, that's a good future. So the last influence for Hideo Kojima that he stated publicly was... Starsky and Hutch, believe it or not, uh, it's why he made the game cinematic. Have you ever seen Starsky and Hutch? The I haven't seen the movie, but I've seen episodes the, of the TV of the show. The TV show, yeah, that's what he's yeah. talking about. Obviously, yeah. not the movie. Yeah, that was a weird concept movie? for a movie. Yeah, I agree. It's like one, I don't even know what they were thinking. I've never seen the show though. Uh, is it cinematic, or is he just like a fan of the show? You think? I mean, the sh- the show's I guess cinematic enough. It's played. I mean, it's funny, but it's not like a, a parody like the movie was. You know, mm. I guess it's like the equivalent of like the live the new Rescue Rangers movie and like the mm. TV show. You know what I mean? Like it's played a little more straight on the TV show. I was surprised on that movie. I mean, it's not a topic here, but like how much they use Ugly Sonic. <laughs> like he literally he's a supporting was uh, supporting character. He, yeah, he is a supporting character. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the story starts in the future of 2013. I can't wait for that. Uh, when Los Angeles Police Department officer Jonathan Ingram is one of the five police knots who are police officers that have astronaut training uh, to project the Beyond Coast. Uh, uh, the last protect. human protect. You're right. I I'm tired. Uh, the last uh, human functional space colony. During a test of the new suit, Jonathan is accidentally drifted into space and presumed dead. Mm. But really, the cryogenic survival system in the suit prevented him, uh, preserved him, and he is found and revived 25 years later. So this story kind of gives you that weird, like, fish out of water, everyone's gotten older, but you're the same age kind of thing. Um, during Ingram's time away, Beyond Coast has growing to be, grown to be a big travel destination. Now in 2040, he's become a private investigator on Earth in old Los Angeles. Jonathan's ex-wife, who remarried after she thought he was dead, asked him to solve the murder of her husband. Kinzo Hugo or Hogo Horuhujo and you are given a set of clues a torn leaf a set of capsules and the word Plato yeah and then after leaving Jonathan's office she's murdered by a a man in a black motorcycle suit so so you take you take her last uh, wish and you're gonna solve this case and that's the story I think 
So this whole thing is like the prologue, literally, for the game. So there's a lot more to the story, a lot more characters to the story. We're going to be seeing some of the characters, not all the characters right here. And we'll talk about them, maybe mention some of the art style. So this is Jonathan Ingram. He's uh, the main character, a cool dude, private detective that smokes. While I couldn't find a proof for it, Jonathan and his partner Ed really give me a Lethal Weapons vibe with Jonathan Ingram looking like Martin Riggs. Oh, I'm too old for this shit, Martin. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, so he definitely looks, looks like Mel Gibson with the hair and everything and the like smoking. With an anime cool. face, though. Exactly, with the <laughs> anime. Yeah. And then we got Ed Brown. Um, Ed's old buddy and ex-police nod. Ed, Ed works at the basement at Beyond Coast Police Department and is considered an old man waiting to retire. He gets more motivation when his old friend Jonathan pops in to solve a new mystery. Obviously, he looks like Danny Glover's character in Lethal Weapon. And even has the whole, like, oh, I'm too old. And he's literally old because it's 25 years in the future. So I think it's a cute play on the movie, you know, their dynamic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because he used time travel. So he's like, might as well just copy the uh, relationship with the old man and the uh, young <laughs> cool guy. So right. I thought that was interesting. Lorraine Hugo or Hogo, Hujo. Jonathan's ex-wife, uh, we talked about her. She dies. She doesn't really have much in the story. She's just there to die, basically. She's like, hi. Oh, I'm dead. <laughs> um, Karen, her daughter, uh, she's L Lorraine's daughter, uh, who she had with Kinju. So she's not your daughter, supposedly. I I'm sure hmm. there's going to be some sort of twist. Oh, Hideo Kojima doesn't have twists like that. No way. She, lo she looks like her mother in her youth. Which gives me a little creep vibes. I'm like, please don't do this whole, like, I'm dating the daughter because I'm 25 years younger, actually. Uh, so it makes it kind of complicated for Jonathan. She's a famous news anchor for Beyond Coast Broadcast Company. Uh, during the game, she's ill and is kept home mourning the passing of both her parents. Which, I mean, it is kind of sad that both your parents died. Your mom, like, oh, some guy killed her in a, black, in, in a bike. That's kind of weird. Here we have Tony Redwood, member of the advanced police from uh, Beyond Coast. Jonathan first meets Tony boarding the colony. Tony is a frozener, a manufactured human designed specifically to work under harsh conditions of space. Thus, why he has this like weird, creepy zombie look. And uh, I don't really have to say much, but this guy's obviously a bad guy. I mean, who the hell looks like that and isn't a bad guy in a Hideo Kojima game? So, I don't, <laughs> yeah. no plot spoil. I, I could just look at the character design and be like, that guy's evil. I can see it. Gates Becker, another of the old police knots. Gates is in charge of Beyond, Co uh, Beyond Coast Police and thus Ed Brown's boss. His attitude is a typical movie boss where he chews you out for being reckless. You rascals. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Joseph Tokugawa. Joseph is an old friend of Jonathan and Ed, a formal police. He is the most successful member of the old police knot team, having built an entire industry in the colony ranging from construction to pharmaceuticals. His corporation basically runs outer space. Uh, a, a note, according to Hardcore Gamer 101, the Ta Takagawa Corporation makes can various cameos in Metal Gear Solid games in the background. So, uh, yeah. Um, 
he's obviously a bad guy. I mean, anyone with power in a in a Hideo Kojima game is a bad guy. So bad right. guy. Meryl Silverberg. The game Meryl is one of the squad members working under Ed, and she's a terrestrial, aka she's born on Earth. She tries to implement her military experience to the police department. Uh, but they decided that they rather use advanced police units that are meant to fight in space and could take more damage. So she's basically, uh, she's feeling useless, even though she has military experience. The character was later reused for Metal Gear Solid because Kojima liked her so much. In this game, she's more of a vet, while in Metal Gear Solid, she's more of a rookie. So she takes Mm. more of a rookie role. And you know what? I don't blame her. I thought Meryl's design was pretty awesome when I first played Metal Gear Solid, so... Good on him for reusing her. And uh, the last picture I posted here is just the whole cast of the game. There's this really cool picture with all of them together. Uh, just a cool shot. I have nothing to say about this shot. Just to say that, oh, they have cool. They have this weird girl in a bikini, though, randomly. So, I mean, if you're into <laughs> that, check out the picture for sure, man. Let's talk about the music. Which is pretty iconic, I would say, right? Like, I, I don't know, like, when they released the vinyl, I think, for Snatcher and this one, I think a lot of people got super excited on our uh, Discord. They were like, oh my god, finally, they're, they're paying attention to the games we want to re-release and we're never going to get. So, uh, unsurprisingly for Konami Games, Police Knot has uh, remained iconic to this day, the music. The main composer for the game was Tappy. Uh, uh, Iways, I think that's how you say his Iwase? name. Awase? is that how you say it? Okay. Um, sure. Who was credited as Tappy. So Tappy would really break out as a composer when he worked on Contra 3, The Alien Wars. And then he would go on to do Sakudin and uh, Snatcher and, of course, Police Nuts. After this, he would compose basically all the Metal Gear Solid tracks except for the ending tracks. So big, uh, that's a lot of work. Yeah. Tappy will work with composers Masahiro Ikariko, who worked on the old Metal Gear Solid Metal Gear 2 games, so the old 1991. Snatcher, and even did sound design for TMNT Hyperstone Heist on the Sega Genesis, and did the soundtrack for Sunset Riders, which is pretty good. Yeah. The composer M- M- Moto Aki Furukusa. I'm too tired for this. The people in Furukawa. the comments are ripping Furukawa. you apart right now. Yeah, Furukawa, all right? Sorry, guys. God Motowaki Furukawa. Furukawa, yeah, Furukawa. Man, I'm sorry, guys. I'm so tired. Japanese names are killing me today. <laughs> Who started as a music editor for Super Contra and then moved on working on Lethal Enforcer, for, uh, Lethal, Lethal Enforcers and Castlevania Rando of Blood before composing Police Knots. So three people for the soundtrack. I mean, that's not bad. Wow. That's kind of, I would say that's all. You know, Konami. I think Sega and Konami. They both had this like uh, expectations of their soundtracks being like iconic. I would put them all both on the same you know level. So let's. I just want to show off some of the soundtracks this game's got. So this game actually did get released quite a bit of soundtracks. The first one was the CD version of it that came out on February 3rd, 1995. It was a Japanese exclusive, included 38 tracks. And according to Discog, they sold one copy in July 11th, 2020 for $119.03. Wow. Right now, 
Right now, the cheapest one is 185 bucks and 20 cents. So, rare. We're not going to get it, probably. The, uh, Japan also got a compilation soundtrack. This one came out in August 21st, 1998, and it included both sound, uh, like a mix of Snatcher and Police Knots. I think this is where I first heard uh, Police Knots, the soundtrack, because I think it got mixed with my Snatcher stuff. So I was like, oh, what? Oh, this is good, too. Um this compilation was called Snatcher Police, uh, like Arrow Sideways. I don't know what that's called on the keyboard. Police Knots music compilation of Hideo Kojima, which is kind of funny because like Hideo Kojima did not make the soundtrack. Why is it? It's like it's like Outrun music of not not like Hero, but it, Yuzuzuki. It's like no, he didn't make the music though. You know that's that was this is what bothers me about this. That's all. Right. Yeah, like Hideo Kojima's the director and the producer, right? But And he has his name all over the goddamn games. Don't fucking take away the soundtrack <laughs> people's names. So, uh, yeah, one copy has been sold in July 3rd, 2019 for 65 bucks. Right now, mm. you could get the only one on sale costs $278.31. Wow. Big ouchies. Big ouchies. And the last one is... The most recent one re-released. This one's the vinyl by uh, it's the um, Data Disc. They did yeah. a two two vinyl LP, which I got. It's in somewhere in my uh, vinyl box. Came out back in September eighth, twenty eighteen. It, it came with a twelve page booklet, a lithographic print, and of course a Data Disc sticker. There are yeah. th- obviously three versions of this one in classic black and opaque white, and of course the limited edition with the black and white swirl did you pick this one up on data disc no i didn't i like you know i i don't know the game if it was snatcher i would have gotten it but a different mm. company did snatcher and Sadly. interestingly as you were talking about soundtracks i got the little ping it said my <laughs> um my power stone vinyl from ship to shore just is gonna arrive tomorrow oh so. my my uh, brother got it two days ago it looks yeah. really nice. I was actually going to do a uh, little reel on it, but I, I, mm. I haven't had time. I might do it because he also got the tape. I was just going to call it probably like new Power Stone merch. And now we're talking about what we're doing on social media. So let's move they, on to It's funny. They'll they'll let you show it, but they won't let you play the music or they'll hit you with a copyright Oh, strike. really? Capcom? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't know they did that. Ah, oh, scummy. Boo, Capcom. Boo. Yeah. They didn't even care about uh, Power Stone, but here they are. So let's talk about the port differences. The original game came out in 1994 on the Nick PC9821 computer. One of the biggest drawbacks about this version of the game is that uh, basically the later games got full animated cutscenes. This version mm. just has steel images. But the PC version was actually higher quality artwork than the console versions because it had the resolution of... S- 64, 60, 640 by 400 bitmap images with 16 colors, while the, obviously the uh, console versions had uh, scanned animated cells, had more colors, <laughs> but the resolution obviously is uh, 320 by 240, which is basically what old consoles used to be. The PC and console versions also had a slight character redesigns due to Konami working with Anime International Company for the animations for the console version. So they kind of redesigned the characters to make it easier to animate. Also, sections have been made easier in the later releases. And the PC version also has the longer script, uh, though they deleted text 
uh, the, the deleted text was minor and not needed, according to Hideo Kojima. So he's like, it's my redraft, you know, when you do it, where you like write a <laughs> script and you're like, well, they don't have to know that. I'm going to rewrite it real quick. So, yeah. I do love the packaging on the Nick computer games. It's like, I want to have it just to like, I bet it's super rare. I didn't even look it up because a Japanese only PC game like this, I'm like, oh, $2,000 at least. I can already see it. But I love the packaging, so. The first console release was on the 3DO, which has really crappy video compression. The 3DO version launched on September 29th, 1995. Also, who, I mean, I like the cover for the 3DO because it has all new artwork for it. I've never seen this artwork used, I guess, outside of the data disc when you have the art book. But uh, it's cool artwork. I, I like the space cadets with the black that the data disc cover had. That's my favorite art, but this is pretty cool too. Um, what do you think about the 3DO? And like, wasn't the whole thing was that it had video, but everyone like every game I always see, it's like, oh, this has the crappiest video uh, compression of all time. Uh, yeah, 3DO was I definitely a step up from the CDI. No, 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 What's from the, the Sega CD. Oh, okay, um, probably on par with the Saturn sometimes. Um, but I, I do have a Philips CDI and from the games that I've seen on the 3DO and CDI, I feel like the, uh, CDI looks pretty good. Oh, really? So I'd imagine it, I'd imagine it varies. It all depends on what they are utilizing, like internally. Um, cause the CDI does have a VCD capability. And if you have the VCD card, which I do, you get better video quality on certain games. Why do you get a CDI? So, why do I have one? Yeah, I've had. I mean, we've had it since it came out. It was like the family's mm. um, CDI because the CDI would play music. It would play photo CD discs, which were big. You could go to Walgreens and they would turn your film canister into a, a CD, and it was gold. And you <laughs> wow! Would, you would. It was super cool. You'd put it in, and it would play uh, a slideshow of all your photos you took. Mm. So we would put like vacation photos, but. That's pretty cool. And then cool. it would play VCD games and software. So it was really, it was like a computer for your TV. It was yeah. cool. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've never had one. I knew one guy that had a 3DO. I wasn't, he tried to pawn it off on me, obviously, because it's like, you know. Yeah, 3DO's cool, but it doesn't do as much. You know what I mean? Like, that's where I think it's more of a, a failing as like a game system or whatever you'd call it, just because you can't point to it and go, well, I, I watch. I play music on it, and I watch VCDs, and I, I do my photos. Like, I guess police knots <laughs> is what you get. In Japan, I guess. We didn't get it over mm-hmm. here. So, like, if they had... D as well, right? Yeah, D? I think so. It was Japanese yeah. only, right? So, I don't yeah. know what's up with... Did the 3DO have a following in Japan or something? Like, cause Must I, have. I never met another person that, besides that one guy when I grew up that had it have a 3DO or collect for the 3DO. I don't know if that's a big market. Well, it was from um, Panasonic, right? Yeah, but there's no Panasonic But they fans. are Korean? Are they still around? No, they're Japanese. Yeah, but they're... So, yeah. Are they still yeah. around, though, as a company? Oh, Panasonic? Absolutely. Huh. Yeah. Well, I've never bought a Panasonic um, item, so cameras i don't know if they're in tvs anymore i actually have a old panasonic plasma 
in the storage room, and mm-hmm. I never threw it away because I know plasma TVs have like beautiful inky blacks. Oh. So, <laughs> so yeah. yeah. Um, so, and then we have the PlayStation uh, release that came after the 3DO. This version is considered to have the best looking video on it, but hmm. runs at a choppy 15 frames per second. See, we can't have it all, yeah. right? We can't have it all. And the last version. That's right, baby. That's right. We're talking about the Sega Saturn. You ever hear of that console? <laughs> That's a real men play right here. 3DO, Nick 20, whatever, blah, blah, bull crap. Blah. PlayStation, that's for kids, bro. This right here, the Sega Saturn, that's a real man console. This version came out in September 13, 1996, two years after the original 1994 release. While the game's cutscenes run a bit blurrier than the PlayStation 1, they have way more, uh, they're way smoother. The, the Saturn version also came in three CDs, had some extra scenes, and modified segments of the game. This version also uses the light gun for shooting sections, and it has a hardcover art book that came with the game. According, oh, nice. according to Hideo Kojima himself, this is the definitive version of the game, and since there hasn't been another release since this, this is the, the definitive version of the game, right? Uh, yeah. I, I'm looking at the, the interview. So this is what, he, what Hideo himself had to say about this, this, this version of the game. This Saturn version of Police Knot is truly the final version. In one sense, the Saturn port isn't really all that different from the pre- previous versions. That is to say, it is the perfect port. The reason we chose the platform to do that on is because Saturn users are people who truly love games. So I knew I wouldn't go over with them unless we release something superior to the previous versions. For the movie clips, the 3DO had 24 frames per second playback, but we had to lower that to 15 frames per second on the PlayStation. That was something I insisted on with programmers, that the Saturn version, uh, not, what the, why did it say version not movies look good? I don't know, that's weird. Not using a Cinepack encoding. Somebody who mm. did this uh, translation screwed up right there, sorry. Uh, I think the Saturn version is the most charming, he laughs. The PC-98 version was the first, so I do have some attachment to it. And when the PlayStation version came out, I remember thinking, this is the best. But after some mm-hmm. time passed, I started thinking differently. It's pretty minor, but there were some detail, detailed lines that suggested, uh, and su- that suggested sub-stories. And we had to remove those lines in the PlayStation version. But now we've added them back in on Saturn. Also, I had been wanting to add light gun support to Police Nuts. Gun games like Lethal Enforcers are really fun, but they don't really invoke much empathy from the player. I mean, enemies just come out of nowhere and they die in one shot. Okay, bye-bye. In Police Nuts, (laughs) take Redwood, for example. As Jonathan comes to see him as a villain in the story, uh uh-oh, plot spoilers, his and the player's anger rises until he reaches a boiling point, and at that time, Jonathan draws his gun. And so that's uh, that's why this is the definitive version according to him. The sad part is we do not we can't enjoy the light gun sections anymore because light guns do not work with modern televisions, right? Unless you have one, an old one. Yeah, of course, if you have a CRT, (laughs) but like how many people have a CRT lying around just to play? I mean, of course, mine broke, so no. 
Now, I have uh, one in there and one in there. Oh my god! Okay, so we're all going to Barry's house to play uh, <laughs> police knots, all of us. Um, yeah, get the coffee made. We're all spending the yeah. night. Um, so yeah, I will say that it sucks that sections. Of, I think this is one of the game like this and Snatcher. Like, how is it not re-released? Like, what are we doing here? This guy's, you know, like Kojima is world renowned. You know, everyone loves him. Well, not everyone, but not everyone. a lot of people do. Yeah. Um, and yet they have not just done this such an easy cash grab here, like Police Knots and Snatcher. Even when, um, man, what came out? It was like the uh, uh, Turbo Graphics. Remember that? Yeah. Like the mini, and it came with Snatcher, but only on the Japanese side. Like, you could switch regions, yeah. and it was untranslated. Stupid. And it's like, so you could have put dumb. the translated version on there. Konami's so stupid, dude. Like, I, <laughs> like they do stuff sometimes where I'm like, wow, I can't believe you did that. Like, I'm literally surprised you did that. Like, um, the TMNT <laughs> connect collection. It's ridiculously, like, uh, more than I thought they would ever do for TMNT. So that surprises me. And then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, yeah, Snatcher and Police Not That we actually own the license to. Nah, nah, we're good. We don't want to re-release that. It's weird. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and if you want to own the eBay, own the Japanese one on eBay, it actually sells for fair prices. Like the basic version for Saturn is, I think, forty bucks. That's not too uh, bad. The special editions like eighty, um, eighty to hundred, but that's with like the box and the art book. And, and then if you, that's not that mm-hmm. bad for like a one little treat you have your give yourself, you know, a little relic of of the past. I don't think that's that yeah, big to ask and, for. I've done that with um, Panzer Dragoon Saga. I'd buy the Japanese version so I can say I have it on my shelf. Um, and that works. I would also say you could check Etsy out. I know Daniel said he did that. And I see the Saturn versions, like uh, like the you know, custom-made, like, translated PlayStation versions on there yeah. for 35 bucks. So that's an option. That's not bad. You can always just... Burn them yourself and play, you know. <laughs> that's, For sure. Yeah, like that's the good thing. Like, it's easy right now to uh, pirate on the set in the Sega Saturn. So, thank mm-hmm. thank God for that. Um, <laughs> so, sadly, Police Not had never had a official release outside of Japan. Though the game was supposed to get an English uh, English translation for the Sega Saturn, as it appeared on catalog promos. Showing off bo- the box art with some weird CGI mech suit, uh, and when they were promoting, they were promoting the Sega Saturn light gun, the Stunner. They listed yeah. the game right there, but with US artwork. And you, you know what I hated about Sega Saturn games back then? They always used these like really stupid, ugly, like um, like um, what do they call these? Like these little filters, the little like where the sun shines. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh, what is it? image flare or whatever they call it on photoshop it's funny looking at that tiny image it looks just like um mech warrior 2 right like it looks like the same cover yeah it's like it a big aspect that makes police knots and snatchers so good is the aesthetic of the anime like the way they and it's like this one's just like a cgi mech and it's like that's why i hate about sega of america they had some of the shittiest covers in america because they wanted to make it look 3d because playstation was sponsoring everyone wanted 3d at the time it's like this game's not 3d stop it's an animated game just put goddamn 2d on the cover for this one right yeah that's what makes me mad but yeah the game has been 
Ban translated to English for the Sega Saturn back in 2009 with version 1.00. And you can find that info on policenots.net if you guys want to get your own uh, translated copy. The last update for the script came out in 2016 with version 1.01. So I would mm. say that it's probably not going to be updated anytime soon. And if it is, it's going to be minor. So if you are thinking, like, is it completed? I think... Uh, what seven years and not updating it makes it kind of complete so mm -hmm. um the future well back in 2012 when kojima was still working with konami he expressed interest in making a sequel to police knots but he said it was hard in a business perspective and that's kind of it but i'll end mm -hmm. this episode by saying that it's cool that the sega saturn version is considered the definitive version but I would give up that title if Konami did a HD remaster of both Snatcher and Police Knots. I think it's time. I think it would be interesting if they remake the animation with more high quality, like 100% 4K, uh, redo the uh, art for it, and then have like an original mode for both of these if you want to play them in more pixel or whatever version of the game came out in the past. Um, I think that would be amazing. I think a lot of fans would go gaga over that. But I don't know if it would happen because I think Konami still has this, like, broken up girl. You know when you break up with a girl and you're like, oh, yeah, I don't want to hear deal with any anything with that person ever again. <laughs> I'm good, you know? I feel like that's right. Konami and Hideo Kojima. Any closing words before we end it? You know, I'm I'm tempted to check this out now. Uh, it's very rare that we do a Sega Talk where I have not played the game and did not really make an effort to try to emulate it. And so, coming into this, I thought, like you said, it would make for an interesting episode to have a game that I, you know, I did not play. Um, which explains why we talked a lot about the CDI and CRT TVs, because <laughs> we, had to, we had to stretch this out. But, um, I mean, I love Snatcher, and so I, I should check this out. I should. And I had... You should, uh, too. Yeah, of course. And I, I had seven pages of notes. I'm surprised they flew by. Uh, especially, I mean, we just looked at the cast and we talked about the game. I think the game has really cool aesthetics and feel to it. I like the music. I think everyone mm -hmm. should at least listen to the soundtrack. And I think that would convince you to probably listen, uh, play the game. Absolutely. Uh, and we didn't get any memories for this episode because the game never came out in English. I feel like a lot of people <laughs> haven't played this game, and it's one of those weird, weird games where we're, like, ending the episode with us just talking about it, about the game, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, what are we doing next time on Sega Talk? Ooh, next on Sega Talk, we are going to stick with this theme of, like, cyberpunk sort of future quasi-adventures. We're going to be playing um, the poor man's snatcher, Rise of the Dragon. What? So I'm looking forward to talking about that. It's a Sega CD game. Okay. Um, and I purchased it three times, and I'll explain why when you uh, watch it when we get to that episode. All so, right. Yeah, we're going to kick off June, Rise of the Dragon. Looking forward to it. And we'll catch you guys on the next episode of Sega Talk. Bye. Bye. Rise of the Dragon.
4度と地球は一続きだたとえどんなに離れていても地球との関係は不変なんだ子は親を踏み越えて成長していくが離れるわけじゃないんだ俺たちはいつも近くにいるいつも見守っている。